Governor Walker made headlines last week when he called for a special session to pass a number of welfare reform measures. That included one that would require parents of children on food stamps to work or get job training in order to receive more than three months of benefits. The proposal immediately touched off a barrage of criticism from Democrats. In this week's Capital Notes conversation, WUWM's Marty Michelson asked J.R. Ross of WestPolitics.com why this is such a hot-button issue. There are a couple things going on here. One, Republicans at both the state and federal level have been talking about changes to welfare programs to require some kind of you know work, job searches, some kind of activity because they're starting to argue uh, that you shouldn't be giving people state money or federal money basically for free, for not doing anything. It's going to be part of the plank uh, of their, what they're running on this fall. Number two... Governor Walker's been trying to make a case for a while that we have those open jobs in Wisconsin and you know, find people to fill them. And in his mind, getting people who are on welfare into some kind of work searches or job training or what have you would help fill the jobs that we have. So there's that. Governor Walker will deliver his annual State of the State address on Wednesday. Governors typically use the speech to tout their accomplishments and introduce bold new initiatives. This year's address is especially significant because Walker is running for re-election in November and faces an onslaught of Democratic candidates eager to unseat him. So what will be some of the items or accomplishments that Walker will want to emphasize in his speech? I'm sure you're going to hear him do a victory lap about his budget, about the roughly $640 million they put into K-12 education, about eliminating the state property tax that used to fund forestry programs, about the property tax bill on the median value home and come 2018, the bill up this December, being lower than it was in 2010 when he took office. The things that he has done in this budget that he thinks are probably popular. Then he will set the stage for the final uh, few weeks of the legislative session, calling on lawmakers to take up a couple of last-minute bills that he wants to kind of knock out to help set that foundation or build, keep building that foundation for his reelection. You know, This is one of his final kind of big I'm the governor moments before November to kind of have the state's attention and give a speech outside of campaign ads. He hasn't mentioned Foxconn in a while and even left it out of his campaign kickoff speech. Do you think he'll include Foxconn in the state of the state? You know, I'm sure it's going to be part of the overall argument he's going to make about the opportunities that he's he's helped create through his policy. So, you know, when people kind of noted it wasn't a big part of his kickoff, he pushed back a little bit. And he hasn't really shied away from it. He does have a sales job to do with that project outstate. Farther are you away from where Foxconn's going to be, kind of people, some people tell me the, the less popular it is. So when he's up in northern and western Wisconsin, he's got to make a pitch about how this is going to impact people in a positive way. He's trying to make the case that there will be suppliers around the state who can feed into this project and have create jobs uh, all around Wisconsin. We'll see if that happens. But Democrats are very much making the effort right now to point to the cost of Foxconn and say, is this a good deal for taxpayers, and try and convince people it's not, and that's Governor Walker's fault. Also last week, Governor Walker said he wants the legislature to adopt a plan that would move up the closing of the troubled Lincoln Hills Juvenile Prison in northern Wisconsin from next year to this spring. Walker had faced criticism from Democrats for moving too slowly on the issue. Why does Walker now want to speed up the process? If, if they can get it done, he wants to get it done. Now, there are a couple of things you got to remember. He needs to have these places designed. His administration said they would have, as part of this call, to move it up. 
They said that they would uh, issue a request for services to design the five facilities. There's that. Uh, they got to borrow the $80 million to pay for it. They've got to do site selection. So um, while he may want to move it up, there are some hurdles to get it done. And oh, by the way, lawmakers haven't quite bought in yet. Uh, we've heard from Speaker Robin Voss, for example, saying he wants to look if there's a county solution. Each of our counties has a jail. So might those counties be able to uh, help house some of these folks, these youthful offenders? May that be the way to go? He's looking at other alternatives of building new facilities. So it's not a done deal yet, but Walker has been trying to neutralize this Lincoln Hills issue and put it to rest. Uh, Democrats are not going to let that or do their best. I thought that happened. And keep reminding people that this is part of an issue to them of a failure of leadership by Governor Walker by itself. I don't know if there will be, you know, that if Lincoln Hills will be like the issue come November and October, but it will be part of an argument for Democrats of an overall leadership question about Governor Walker and how he's performed as governor. Speaking of elections, you mentioned this before. In northern Wisconsin, Democrats delivered an upset victory in a heavily red district when Patty Schachner beat Republican State Representative Adam Jarko in the special election for State Senator Sheila Harsdorf's seat. A Democrat hasn't held the seat in years. Governor Walker tweeted that this should serve as a wake-up call to the GOP in Wisconsin. How significant is this victory, and how concerned is the GOP right now? Well, there are kind of a couple of things there. One is definitely an upset win for Patty Schachner. Um, not only does it give Democrats another seat in the Senate, but it gives them hope. Uh, they've had some poor cycles in legislative races the last few times out. In 2010, they lost a bunch of seats. 2012 was kind of a wash. 14, they lost seats. And 16, they lost a seat. So they have not had good news in legislative races in a while. This gives them some hope that they can turn things around. It also gives Jennifer Schilling the minority in the Senate, an argument to make to donors of, you should invest in us. We've got a shot now to turn some of these Republican-leaning seats into Democratic ones. So there's that going on. There's also the bigger narrative that actually got picked up nationally last week that this is a seat that President Trump won by 17.1 percentage points uh, back in 2016. You have a Democrat winning it by 10. What's that mean? And the kind of takeaway for a lot of people I talked to is that it means the Democrats are excited. They're, they're charged up. They're motivated to vote. And there are questions with the conservative base. Are they motivated? Are they enthusiastic? And right now, it doesn't look like it. Now, there's plenty of time between now and November to turn that around. But it's not just the 10th. The 58th Assembly District in Washington County, uh, Trump and Romney won that with like two-thirds of the vote in 16 and 12. The Republican candidate got 57% last week. That's kind of a pure base-on-base issue, and there's a signal that Democrats are motivated and Republicans aren't. If that continues, and it's a big if right now, we don't know what it's going to look like in 10 months, but if it continues, it's bad news for Republicans, and it gives hope for Democrats that not just the seats we traditionally see them competing in, but it widens the map. It creates more opportunities. It's good news for Tammy Baldwin if that holds up. It's good news for Challenger to Governor Walker, whoever emerges from that pack holds up. It could open up a, you know more House seats to being competitive. I mean... It gives all the Democrats a little bit of a spring in their step of this could be a good year for us in 2018. And finally, campaign finance reports from the fourth quarter of 2017 came out last week for the gubernatorial candidates. Governor Walker says he has more than $4 million on hand. As for the Democrats, Milwaukee businessman Andy Gronick and State Representative Dana Walks each raised more than a half million dollars, while former Democratic Party of Wisconsin Chair Matt Flynn 
DPI Superintendent Tony Evers and Wisconsin Firefighters Union leader Malin Mitchell each brought in more than 300000 Does this signal that a slate of frontrunners is taking shape for the Democrats? Well, it's kind of still to be determined. I mean, we kind of thought for a long time that these January reports would give us some clarity about who really is a legitimate candidate for governor, who's who's build, breaking away and who's not. But it's not that clear because, one, you know, Matt Flynn yeah, had a good no, number because no, he raised $350,000. He did put 40000 bucks of money in, but it was still the 310 kind of surprised some people. He's got connections to Milwaukee money. He's been in Milwaukee for a long time, former state chair. The question becomes, can he dip in those, that pool of money again and, and repeat the success? Mela Mitchell had a good number, but most was most, if not all, almost all of it was union money. So, can he use that money as a springboard to convincing individual donors to invest in his campaign? If he can, that would help him greatly. If he can't, and he's limited to union donations, it's not going to be very high ceiling for him. Uh, Gronick and Dana Walks raised the most, but they also put mostly their own money in. They're burning through cash at a very high rate. That's so surprising to people. Uh, Kelda Roy's is still a little bit to be determined because two-thirds of her money is from her own pocket, and her 30000 bucks is from just two donors. So she got in late. It's not a lot of time. How will she do the next six months is kind of a question I hear. Uh, Mike McCabe and Kathleen Weinhout didn't really have a lot of money cash left over. And, you know, Evers, while he's kind of in this front, his top tier because he's one statewide, he put out a poll last week or a couple weeks ago that had him out front of everybody else. His number was okay, but he was supposed to use that winning statewide as superintendent as a springboard to a uh, fundraising operation for governor. And while he raised decent money, it's not like breakaway money. So nobody in this pack has broken away yet. Collectively, they've got more money raised than Mary Burke did in 2013 before she took on Walker in 14. But they're not one candidate. They're many. Uh, they are well behind him financially. The question is, can anybody now organize and really take, get a toehold and, and start to break away from others? Because it's kind of a still a muddled mess right now about who the, the front runners are.